Well, all I can say is what a week this has been and what a program we have in store today. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome to our Friday edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. What a week this has been. Now, I'm going to admit right now up front, this program has been pre-recorded to air at this time. I had surgery on Tuesday, a quick recovery anticipated. If there was anything wrong, we would have found a way to interrupt this program and any other since that day. So if you're hearing it today, that means things are fine, number one. And number two, I'm probably enjoying for the first time in two and a half years, more than a day or two away from doing the program. Now, don't get me wrong. I really do enjoy doing the program Truth to Ponder. But there are times like when we were moving back last summer and and other trips that had to be made, trying to get the radio program done in a timely manner and do all that needs to be done is not easy. And so last week and last weekend, I took a lot of time and worked with friends of mine Jim Calhoun and Dr. William Wong to put together all the programs in advance for the entire week. And I want to share with you just some thoughts today. Today's program, I want to look at something maybe you've never thought about, but you need to be understanding the direction in which our world is going. Now, if you're my age, close to my age, I'm 68. If you're not a younger person, nothing wrong with being young. I wish I was young again, too. And knowing what I know today, I think, how many times have we said that to ourselves if we only knew then what we know now? But today, young people are deeply into their technology. Look, I'm bad enough being into it to keep up with the news. I really am. I have to admit that I am... I'm one of those type. I've always been technically minded all my life. I've embraced technology to use it as a tool. That's something that I firmly believe in doing. But there are those that want to use technology for for purposes that I find extremely disturbing. There are several people out there in this world today. I've listened to dozens upon dozens that do some of these technical seminars, uh, events for international organizations, whether it be the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, it doesn't matter. Conferences about technology for you know, college and engineering students from places like Google and others. As they explore technologies that you and I wouldn't have even envisioned 20 years ago, let alone 50 years ago. I can remember, it's over 50 years ago now, going to an electronic school and, and learning some things in, that first, in those first months there that I really didn't understand. Now, I'd always loved electronics. I've been tinkering around with building, I'll admit it now, some, you know, low-powered broadcast transmitters, audio amplifiers, you know, that stuff. I had an affinity to it, and I liked it. 
and I wanted to do more of it. Even though I knew I had a call in my life, but the timing wasn't right. And so I went to a school in Ohio to learn more about it. And I can remember, I'd seen this like in 1968, the future of the chip. And they were talking about these small devices with small leads that would replace transistors in many cases where, you know, 10 or 20 transistors used to be could all fit in in the size of one. And it seemed amazing to me, this miniaturization. And over the 50 years, the idea of putting in 5, 10, or 20 transistors in this tiny space became 500, then 5,000, now 5 million or more. It's incredible the amount of technology if you use the precision tools to build it. It caught my interest too. But I never ever envisioned merging a human being with machine. And I never envisioned some of the reasoning behind why we would want to do that or why they would claim. But I can see where young people today, let's let's start, let's start, let's back up a little bit. Many young people today are no longer raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They know nothing about the scripture. They basically think they're just something that happened in this great universe. And we're the most intelligent thing. And we are going to build something greater than mankind by merging us with machine and other people. And if you think I'm crazy in saying that, the experts that believe that are saying it publicly and unashamedly. There's a guy by the name of Ray, Ray Kurzweil. Now, I, I, I talked about him on the Monday program. And, and Ray, is, Ray Kurzweil is the director of engineering at Google. You know, Google that runs the pretty much the, how you get information. Google that runs the Android phone and has more. They, Google knows more about you than you probably know about yourself, no matter how far away you try to stay from the World Wide Web. And so this director of engineering at Google, Ray Kurzweil, he believes that, you know, he talks about our telephone devices. Now, young people today, and really people of all ages, we all have our smartphones. This has been pushed upon us for two reasons. Number one, for the companies that produce it, they love the money. Money is always involved. It's never not involved. Do you think Verizon and T-Mobile and AT&T and anybody else uh, just wants you to have a great life and here's a phone? No, of course not. There's a money motive for these companies. But there are organizations, companies, and yes, governments that see this tool as something they can use to exploit, control, and basically keep tabs on you. And you do it willingly. I mean, this is like when you have a when you have a smartphone with you at all times, it's kind of like having an, an ankle monitor if you're a criminal waiting trial. As long as you have that device with you, we know where you've gone. It pings, it keeps a map, it does every, it keeps track of everything that you're doing. 
The more things you open up to the device, the more things it can track and the more data that can be extracted about you, where you shop, when you shop, when you do things, when you don't. It can pretty much figure out when you sleep, when you're awake, what kind of websites you visit. If you are using Gmail, you know that Google is reading that mail. Facebook, same thing. All these devices, they monitor you and they try to sell you stuff. Now, this engineer, Ray Kurzweil, believes that the devices eventually, instead of being in our pocket, in our hands, will be inside of our bodies and our brains. We won't need to carry the phone. We will be the phone. And we'll be able to connect the top layer of our neocortex to a synthetic neocortex in the cloud. Now, if you don't believe me, Ray Kurzweil was giving a seminar to engineers not long ago. And this is exactly what he had to say. Just like your, your smartphone, even though it's billions of times more powerful per dollar than the computer I used uh, when I was an undergraduate, it can make itself uh, more intelligent a million fold again by connecting to a million computers in the cloud. So a girl in Africa with her $50 smartphone can access all of human knowledge because her smartphone is connected wirelessly to the cloud. We can't do that directly from our brains yet. We do it indirectly through these devices. Uh, the devices are getting closer to us. They ultimately will be inside our bodies and brains. And, and the purpose of this will not just be to access information services like search and translation and encyclopedias wirelessly, but to actually extend uh, the range and depth of our neocortex. We will connect the top layer of our neocortex to synthetic neocortex in the cloud. And so just the way your smartphone makes itself smarter wirelessly by connecting to the cloud, we'll do that directly from our brains. There you have it in his own words. There's Ray Kurzweil, Director of Engineering Technology for Google. Just comes out and says it. The day is coming that we are merging human beings with machines. And what I find troubling is how many younger people that don't understand even what humanity is anymore, what the value of life is anymore. Thank you, school system. Confusing genders, confusing everything saying that life has no meaning uh, you know I, I still find it as an aside note here you've got these weird elementary and preschool teachers they got their tattoos they got their their face coverings on they got their purple or pink or green hair they even have face piercings and they are proud of trying to identify little kindergartners, preschoolers, to identify which ones they believe are in the wrong body. And they know there are many of them out there. Oh, yeah. Gender, and it may be fluid, too. In some cases, it may be non-binary. You've heard all this silliness. This is a, a, a satanic effort to destroy our humanness. 
And there's a reason for it. I'm going to get into in just a moment. They're trying to destroy the human body, the human character, the human mind, and diminish and tell you there is no soul. There is no life beyond this world. God doesn't exist. Forget being dead. He never existed. That you're a fluke of the universe. And somehow, some of us, evolutionary-wise, have risen a little higher than others. We know more than others. And if you just listen to us, we will marry your, your faulty body to a machine. And you will have all the pleasure you'll ever want. You'll never be sick again. And you will have the perfect, everlasting life. I kid you not. And, and you're saying, well, that's not exactly what Ray Kurzweil is saying. Well, no, that's not exactly what he's saying in the few words you've heard. But in this godless world of engineers of that nature, and, and to look at this guy on the video where I grabbed that audio from, he looks like a harmless, geeky, middle-aged guy that needs a pocket protector. His pants and shirt don't look exactly right. His hair's a little messy. He looks like the geeky engineer. And he just rattles this off so easily, so willingly. It it worries me how many young people cannot see through it. See, in other words... This guy is saying, yeah, we, we carry our devices around. We're already, in a set, in a essence, chipped. We're one step away from the digital world currency or the central bank digital currencies because we're already used to it. How many people use cash much anymore? You go to the stores, you're using debit cards, credit cards, Google Pay, hmm, uh, Apple Pay, all those various ways of paying for things. And over time, we've become conditioned to a different world. The problem increasingly for us Christians is understanding how do we survive in this world? Remember, we're not of this world, but we are in this world. How do we survive in this world without becoming completely of this world? Now, if you think if you think that what Ray Kurzweil has to say, and remember, this is this is a guy that is working for probably the wealthiest corporation in the world worth, we don't even know how much. It's, it's, it's incredible. And how much information they have on you and how much influence in your life, your children's lives. Just like these elementary school teachers seeking out which kid is a transgender that needs to have their body butchered and altered permanently. By the way, they probably won't reproduce if they do. They feel it their life mission. It is a quest. They have to do it. Funny, they say that, they'll even come out and say that a child knows in the womb that they're in the wrong body. They know in the womb instinctively. They're, they know they're four months in the womb. And they know they're in the wrong body. If that's true, how can you ever abort a child? If they know what and who they are, how can you do that? But then again, whoever said being 
literally demonically possessed makes you logical. I quote this all the time. Read the book of 2 Thessalonians. It'll tell you all that you need to know about this delusion. And these individuals that want to merge with a machine. Now, if you think that Ray Kurzweil is bad, there's a guy by the name of, we've talked about him on this program dozens of times, Yuval Noah Harari. And this guy, this guy is an openly gay, best-selling author who abstains from eating meat, who is celebrated, who is celebrated by anybody like at the World Economic Forum, anybody that really promotes a new world order, a great reset. This, this guy is their go-to philosopher and genius. This guy is technically minded, extremely And he and his gay lover live in Israel. And this guy teaches at a university in Israel. And he is the go-to guy for the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, major corporations worldwide. They, They literally sit to listen to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of this satanic prophet. The New York Times loves him. Stanford University, MIT, all of Silicon Valley. They think this man is the savior of the world and should be our mentor to fix all that hurts us. Because see, climate change is caused by man. But with people like Yuval Noah Harari and technology like from Ray Kurzweil, we can solve the world's problems. And one step at a time, we're going to work, we're going to go into this utopian world. Now, listen to what Yuval Noah Harari said. Here's a few back-to-back audio clips of him at a seminar just before the pandemic at the World Economic Forum. A good two-way communication system, direct communication system, between brains and computers, this is kind of the the watershed moment. I mean, once you have a good two-way, nobody has any idea what happens after that. Now listen to this. If you have um, uh, a good two-way communication system directly between brains and computers, it also means you can connect several brains together to create an inter-brain net with a comp- because it's, it's the, same, the same system, the same communication system. And nobody has any idea what this means for things like identity. Who am I when I can access directly the brain of another person? Communion. The word intelligent design immediately brings to mind of many people the creationist idea that all life forms are designed by God. And and sometimes people tell me, don't use the word intelligent design. But it is intelligent design, what we are about to see in the world. It's just not the intelligent design of, of, of the God of the Bible. It's the intelligent designs of human beings and increasingly of of algorithms. We create our own gods. Increasingly we'll see in more and more fields this shift in authority from humans to algorithms. So even if we keep as figureheads, the presidents and the CEOs will continue to be human beings because we don't like the idea of being ruled by algorithms. Actually, these 
presidents and CEOs, they will be choosing between options dictated by algorithms, often without really understanding how they came to these options and what do these options mean. The arrogance of this man is unprecedented, at least in my lifetime. I think of Psalm 14, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. It is amazing how these individuals that literally have decided there is no God, they want to be God. (laughs) Go back to the Garden of Eden. When the serpent went to Eve and said, you know, you eat of that tree of life, you'll be just like God and you'll never die. The same temptation is being pushed again. We'll merge you with machine. You will not die. On top of that, it'll all be pleasurable. You'll never be sick. You'll never have need. And you can merge your mind in a communion of sorts with every other mind that is melded with machine that is out there. Years ago, we laughed at, uh, you know, it just seemed like science fiction, you know, the Borg or, you know, this merging of machine and man. But, you know, in the last 10, 20 years, it's really becoming something that is being pushed to achieve. Now, can it be thoroughly achieved? They say it can. Do I believe it can? I don't know. But here's what I do know. This is all a competition for the things and the place of God. They want to be the creator. They want to be the intelligent designer now. Notice for a long time, a lot of places, they don't want to use the word intelligent design because that that implies that mankind didn't do it. You all know a Harari is like, well, I am a god. And I am smart. I, I am a intelligent designer. Listen to me. You don't don't. It's it's not going to be the cloud of the God of the Bible. It's the one that I'm building. I'm your new God. That is the arrogance, and they want to pull you away from your humanness in so many ways. Destroy your humanness. Destroy your body. Destroy your mind. Corrupt your soul. They want you to commune. Not with God, but with machine. And for your carnal satisfaction, for lack of a better term. They're coming after Christians, and they will. You can laugh all you want. You laughed 10 years ago saying it was a conspiracy theory of merging people and machine. And there you're listening to the people from the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, Google, and everywhere else. They're they're saying it out loud. Stop saying it's a conspiracy theory. That old saying, what is the difference between a conspiracy theory and truth? Just a matter of time in many cases. This radio program is here to bring you truth. We are here to dig into the news, but it's becoming increasingly obvious we need to be a source of good news and hope. It's real easy for me to get behind this microphone and find these kind of stories I just shared. I do it every week, every day of every week. But we have to 
begin to look beyond the bad news of the day and prepare for the times ahead. Parallel economies, parallel ways of surviving. We're in this world, but let's not be of it. Let's not be merging ourselves with a Google-created machine. They want to break the communion and fellowship you have with God and his people. They want to destroy that. I want to work on ways to tie us together in those days and weeks and months and years ahead. And that's why I need your help. By the way, I've got some something very special on the other side of the break. We do need to take a break. If you do believe in the mission and work of this radio program, would you consider going online to our website, truth2ponder.com? You can support us from there using Give, Send, Go right there at the website or make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. Ancient Word Radio, P.O. Box 510, P.O. Box 510, Chilhowee, Virginia, Chilhowee, Virginia. Zip code is 24319. That's 24319. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. Set like a jewel. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out on receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. There was a sacrifice that was offered up by the priests when they went into ministry. It was called the Miloim. Fascinating things about this sacrifice of ministry because the word Miloim comes from the word jewel. It also means a fitting, a setting, like a precious jewel being fitted and, and set into place. So how does God get you into ministry? This is the ministry sacrifice. This is the ministry they did. Well, he gets you into ministry like a, like a jewel being fitted, like fitted as a jewel into place. You get into ministry as a jewel fitted. God will fit you. Believers often want the perfect ministry, the one that fits them perfectly. That's not how you find it. You don't find the ministry perfectly fitted to you like a suit jacket. You find the ministry into which you are being perfectly fitted into. It's not the ministry that you mold to fit your life. It's your life that gets molded to fit your ministry. You get molded like a perfectly fitted jewel. Without serving, we're, we're like we're like a diamond in the rough. We're potential, but we're not there, you know. But we become a precious jewel as we serve the Lord. As diamonds rubbed, even hurt, iron sharpens iron, jewels, but all that stuff. When you commit yourself to the Lord and serve Him, you things start falling into place. You serve Him with all your heart. It's amazing how it will come together as you commit yourself to His perfect will. God will fit you as a master jeweler. You will become like a diamond and your ministry will all happen as you get fitted into perfect place so that your life is set, fitted, ready to shine and reflect the face of the master jeweler. Want more? As for the Shiloim, the sacrifice of the Lord. Now, how'd you like to be faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Well, how about just move mountains? You can. With Sapphires, the super spiritual supplement for a super spiritual walk in the Lord, plus the incredible mystery of the temple doors, all free. How do you get all this? Easy. Just remember Jesus, really rename Yeshua and dial it. Just call 1-800. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's it. For your free gifts, you will be blessed, but call now 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join me in the Great Commission to bring salvation to the world. The most amazing way to blanket the earth through shortwave radio. You can touch the entire world. It's amazing. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or you can write me direct. 
Just write to the Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. That's the Nice Jewish Boy, Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. Well, till next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying... Get fitted, my friend, into the kingdom. Shalom lechem, peace be to you, my friend, in Messiah, Melech Olam, the king of the universe. is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And I want to welcome you back to part two of Truth to Ponder for this weekend edition. So glad that many of you take the time to listen. Now, in this segment, I've got a few things that I want to cover quickly. Number one, in the first part of the program, I talked about all of these forces, all of these ideals, all of these individuals and organizations that are pushing to really become gods, pushing to merge man and machine. And there's so many bad things I can think of for, number one, it knows every place you're going and doing, replacing currency, and humanity becomes under control. Humanity eventually is minimized in more ways than one. And those that are Bible-believing Christians understand that. Now, those churches that are no longer Bible-believing or Bible-abusing, yeah, they do that too. Selective readings, woke ideologies, politics before salvation, politics before repentance, politics before everything. And feel good about, or the ones, I just want to come to church to feel good about myself. I want to hear music that makes me just happy inside. I I figured out years ago that I want to be in communion with my God. I want to be close to my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, from where my real help, my real creation comes from, and my real hope for eternity. As somebody that is a called and ordained servant of God's word, I want to use every tool at my disposal to reach a lost and dying world for Jesus Christ. Churches across the world are dying. Many are dead, closed, gone, sold, never to open again as a church. That's the world, sadly, in which we live today. Too many Christians do not fear God. They don't see him as an almighty. They just kind of, uh, you know, he's my buddy kind of thing. Me and my Jesus. I've used that expression in a message that I preached that I'll share in just a bit. Understanding who Jesus is and our relationship, what it should be with him, is the beginning of knowledge. Knowledge does not come from from Yuval Noah Harari and his machines and his cloud. It comes from the creator of it all, Christ Jesus. Now, this is the epiphany season that goes on for a little while. And we watch in that season, Jesus 
growing up quickly. We even see Jesus at the temple preaching as a 12-year-old. We remember those times of his life. But we remember that he came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. And one of the things I, I believe that we forget about is our communion with God and each other. And I'm going to spend a little time next week talking about it in a message that I gave, oh, I don't know, maybe six years ago. I talked about that very topic in, in light of this season of the year Epiphany. And at that time, it was the, the second Sunday in Epiphany, which is what this weekend will be, the second Sunday. And I shared some thoughts with a congregation in Florida. And I'm going to play that for you in just a moment. I think about where God is calling me and this radio program, and there's an opportunity ahead. Now, in these days and weeks, as I fully recover physically, I'm preparing to do what God has for me and, and this work and this ministry. I've said it before, I can't just keep going on being the bearer of bad news. Yeah, I'll be a watchman on the wall. I'll continue to do that. I'll continue to tell you what you need to know. And I don't even need to go into some of the bizarre headlines that are out there. I can take the ones that are low-hanging fruit. The most important thing I can do is make you aware of what to see. And don't fall for the clickbait stuff. There's so much of that silliness out there making people that are using you wealthy. Sorry, but they are. I want to help you prepare for such a time. Now, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to share a message. And then before the end of the program today, I want to share just a few more thoughts on how we can stay connected when times get tough and churches again get shut down. And now that message. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm sorry we didn't have an opportunity to be with you last week. Got called out for the first time in the work that I've done at that radio facility out in Okeechobee, they had an urgent emergency in the wee hours of the morning, so off we went. And that's the first and hopefully the last time I will have to do something like that. I thought I retired from that kind of work, and I'm still doing it. Still getting bruised up, but I do kind of enjoy it. I just said, thank God you weren't preaching. You got that right. That would have been a real problem. But uh, I was thinking about this gospel lesson today. And when you wrap your mind around what is going on in the world and you understand how Jesus begins his earthly ministry, during this brief season of Epiphany, we quickly go through his birth which is Christmas tide, and then at Epiphany, the manifestation of Jesus to the Gentiles, and we see him suddenly at the age of 12, and then the next time we see him is now. What happened during all these years? I mean, we he was born, and then 
about a year or so later, as we now understand, we, we see the wise men met them in Bethlehem, and then they headed off to Egypt, and then from Egypt to Nazareth. Uh, there's also a miracle along the way. But the thing that is fascinating is they go to the temple in Jerusalem, as we learned about in these past Sundays, Jesus at age 12 disappearing in the crowd. Parents think that he's on the journey home with them, and he's still back there in the temple debating with the theologians of the day the things of God. And it's one of the most amazing bits of Scripture to me how Jesus treated his mother and father on this earth. Oh, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? Remember that from last week? And now we suddenly jump forward and he's 30 some odd years of age. I mean, when you think about it, we see the babe in Bethlehem, the toddler in Bethlehem heading to Egypt. The next time he's 12, the age of a bar mitzvah, becoming a man, and suddenly in his 30s. What happened in those 20 years? From the time that he was 12 to the time that he was 31, 32, and 33. We don't know. All we know is that he apparently spent that time assisting his earthly father in Nazareth. That's all we know. The Bible is totally silent on a whole 20-year stretch of Jesus' life. And then, and then he suddenly comes onto the scene. And we suddenly catch up with him at the, way, the wedding in Cana, where, you know, hey, I'm not ready to do my thing yet, but for you, Mom, I'll do it. That's what, when you think about it, that's pretty much what he said. You know, they ran out of wine. And Jesus looks at his mother, it's not my time yet, but for you, why not? And there we saw the essence of Jesus' ministry in a very small but profound way. Think about that. He turned that water into wine, and as the wine steward who checked the wine said, you know, normally, normally we serve the good wine first. And when they've had their fill, basically when they are fallen over drunk, then we give them the good, we give them the cheap stuff. They don't care then at that point. But you have saved the best for last. That's not how we do things. Jesus never did anything as we do things. And that's the point. But he did one thing in obedience to his own father that we see in today's gospel. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. You know, the guy that was eating locust and honey, dressed, I mean, can you imagine this guy today walking around? Make ye straight the way of the Lord. They lock him up. But there he is out at the River Jordan. 
And he only knows one thing that he's been called to do. He is the one that is foretold in the Old Testament, the one that makes straight the way of the Lord. Now, once again, I could sit there and debate with the Heavenly Father and say, would you explain to me why you needed this guy that looked that wild and weird out in the desert and he's the one that's going to usher in the Messiah? Doesn't make sense to me. Isn't there a better way to do this? But this is how God works in the ways that we don't understand, the way that, conf- that confounds the mind of man. That's how God operates. He doesn't have to do things our way. He's going to do it his way. And when you begin to understand why he does the things that he does for our benefit, and then we see this little passage from today. There's John out there doing what he's been doing for how many weeks, months, years? You know, just dunking him in the Jordan, picking him back up. Next, uh, dunk him in the, you know, be baptized, have the sins removed away from you. And why people, and this is what I've always never understood. We read this passage. We know this guy looks like the lunatic fringe out in the desert. Yet people are flocking out there and allowing themselves to be baptized by this guy. Why? What did they know? What was being witnessed on their heart that they needed to submit to this cleansing, to this simple act? Martin Luther sums it up quite well, what baptism is. It's simple water mixed with the word of God. And just incredible things happen. Incredible things happen. And so here comes Jesus on that day, heading toward the River Jordan. He's got his first couple of followers beginning to come together. This is the beginning of his calling. But before Jesus gets started, what's the first thing he does? He himself submits to being baptized by John. And even John, who understands inside, this is the Agnes Day, the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie or tie. And if anybody, I should be baptized by you, not me. I shouldn't be doing this. But no, what happens right after Jesus is baptized? One of the accounts in one of the Gospels says, the sky opened up, there was a dove, and the words, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Think about that. Jesus, in obedience to his father, subjected his earthly body to being baptized, though he really didn't need to be baptized because he had no sins to take away. But he will have all the sins of mankind, yours, 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 and mine, on him soon enough. Baptism, baptism is something we do in obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, we can debate, and I'm not going to do it today, but anybody that would like to understand where did the practice of baptizing little ones start, started with St. Paul. 
You know, he, St. Paul was an interesting character called of God. And if you read carefully and study the book of Acts, and I remember doing a year study on it in college, and you understand the nuances and the other writings of the day and, and the early history, St. Paul would probably be the worst bishop or pastor on the face of the earth. Absolutely the guy you would never hire. He couldn't do any book work. He couldn't keep any records. You know, he'll tell you, well, I don't know. I went to so-and-so's place. We're over there in this city, and I was in these houses, and I baptized, oh, I don't know, everybody, the servants, the kids. I'm surprised he didn't baptize the dog. I mean, he was just on such a zeal to proclaim and to be and to get people into that obedience and to be to experience that water and God's word and the change that it makes in our lives. I'm amazed and I doubt if it applies here but it might or to somebody hearing me today how many that go to church that love the Lord that have not been baptized. Yeah, I've run into that in my ministry. I had years ago a church had this delightful individual want to join. And, you know, just a routine question, have you been baptized? Oh, I don't know. Took care of that pretty quick. And you realize this, what we consider lesser sacrament, though that is, is not lesser, to me, it's one of the most beautiful. I have a hard time doing baptisms because I always have tears in my eyes. Every child, every adult that I've ever baptized, it just, it is overwhelming to feel that spirit of the living God and to realize that I am taking this precious child, whether the child is young or 90, and this precious child of God is being marked being set apart, being, as Luther said, we don't understand it, we can't comprehend it, but with God's word, this simple water does things beyond who we are and what our minds and our hearts could ever conceive. You notice Jesus took the simple things. If you go later in his ministry, now that he has his disciples called and they've walked away from their earthly jobs and whatever the case may be, and here they are wandering through this area, not far from Jerusalem, a ragtag bunch if there ever was one, and for all those three years, they are listening to the master and learning from him. And they finally made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, if you remember the sermon I gave you around Christmas time and talked about how Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, notice that even John said that in today's gospel. Who is that? That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I pointed out some of the understanding the scholars have today that Jesus was born in Bethlehem where the lambs for the temple were birthed. Isn't that amazing that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, came where the lambs came from? No doubt. Born 
like a lamb would have been born in the day. And then he approaches John, and the lamb of God, he takes away the sins of the world, and he was baptized. Hard to understand how Jesus explains to his disciples the night in which he was betrayed. What we as Christians get to share in just a few minutes at this table. The incredible, real presence of Jesus Christ. He gave his disciples this wonderful gift. The word sacrament, I love the word. Yeah, it's a man-made word to kind of explain to the best that we can what these things that some churches call ordinances are. It is something that Jesus instituted and participated in like he was baptized. So he is a participant. He calls for it. Jesus offered himself one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for all mankind. And he's telling his disciples they one of the most beautiful things that he tells disciples on that, that day before he is crucified. And he offers them the bread and says, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and drink. This is the blood of the New Testament, which is given for you and for many for the remission, for the taking away of your sins. And then we lose track of one of the words from the Greek. When he says, do this in remembrance, we kind of say, okay, that's a memorial. Not exactly. It goes one step further. That word really brings us to bring into today those things of the past. We transcend time. In this table, we commune with all the Christians that ever were and those that are yet to come. Because our God transcends space and time. It's obedience to being baptized, to enjoying the fruits and the benefits of the Lord's table that can strengthen. Ever notice the words that I use when I hand you the bread? To strengthen and preserve you. Strengthen and preserve you. Until that time. And see, Jesus says, the day will come. As he told his disciples, I will not drink of this cup until I drink it anew with you in that kingdom yet to come. People have asked me, because I spent a lot of time working in what would be called evangelical circles. I worked for an evangelical college for a number of years building their radio ministry. How did you ever end up in a traditional faith like an Anglican. Now, I started out as a Lutheran, but then I took a detour as a Baptist and came back to the fold. It's because of the fullness of the faith, faith once delivered. What I like about, we were talking about this over breakfast, the structure, the understanding, the history across the ages. The church is alive. And I, I'm getting ready to walk into my retirement to build the church. What a way to retire. I'll ask this question. What goes through your mind when that opportunity comes to come to this table? 
What feelings do you have? Is it something we do out of an obligation? Okay, I got to go up there and kneel down. I'll hold it to Britain. Or does something more awe-inspiring take place? Sometimes we get so tied up in the hymns, the order of service, what's going on this afternoon, what happened last night, last week, next week, that we lose sight of those precious few moments that we come into his presence and he becomes real to us. I want him to be so real to you today when you come forward that you become full of such joy, such happiness and fulfillment that the cares of this life suddenly become so unimportant. That's my prayer for you. All those that love the Lord are invited to this table and I hope that you'll take advantage of being in his presence today for this we ask in Jesus name Amen I come O Savior to your table for weak and weary is my soul O Jesus you alone are Satisfy and make me
I can remember singing that anthem as a child, different melody, but I come, O Savior, to thy table, for weak and weary is my soul. We'll talk more next week on how we stay connected. It's one thing to do a radio program like this. It's easy to look at the bad in this world, the trouble in this world, the new agers of this world, those that are conspiring to ruin your life, take your money, put you in slavery. It's out there. You know it and I know it. It's the world in which we live. But just telling you there's a problem, just warning you like a watchman on the wall is insufficient. How do we prepare What do we do? What are the solutions? This radio program needs to change direction a bit. We can continue to do the news, bring you stories that many others will not, but we're going to bring you hope and solutions and ideas and things that will help you live in this world and still not be of it. And I hope that you consider this a worthy ministry. Now, first, thank you for all the prayers. As you know, I've taken this week off. If there was anything urgent, you would know about it. We decided to have the surgery and enjoy some time away. And next week, we come back full speed. If you believe in the work that we're doing here at Truth to Ponder and what I'm about to outline, would you consider financial support? Our website's a great place to go, truththenumber2ponder.com. You can support us from there using Give, Send, Go, or if you make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio, that's Ancient Word Radio, Post Office Box 510, P.O. Box 510, Chilhowie, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, Zip code 24319. That zip code again, 24319. Post Office Box 510, Chilhowie, Virginia, 24319. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.